it's uh, such a pleasure to be able to speak to an elite coach and, and former athlete, uh, Raymond Anderson, who competed in two Olympic games, uh, both in Barcelona, where he won the bronze medal in the K4 event in sprint kayak, and at the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. He's also coached many world-class athletes at the Western Australian Institute of Sport, which is located in Perth, Australia, where he's been uh, head coach um, part-time and full-time uh, since 2003. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak. Uh, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Les. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about your uh, background in, in kayak and how you got into the sport? Yeah, for me, um, I grew up in the Swan Valley in, in Western Australia, which is like a, a great growing region just on the outskirts of the metropolitan area. And I went to a high school, Governor Stirling High School, which just happened to be on the banks of the Swan River. And, and we have an event in Perth, which is um, you know, quite, quite a popular, you know, sort of public event. And, uh, called the Abend Descent, which um, at, at its peak would attract about 800 competitors and, you know, massive crowds along along the banks of the river. And that was so, so growing up in the Swan Valley, uh, where the Swan River sort of um, sort of flowed through. That was what you did on the first weekend of August every year, you, you know, go down the river and watch these um, paddlers. And, and they also have power boats in the race go past. And, and I felt, you know, that was something that I always wanted to do at some point in time and and with going to Governor Stirling I was quite fortunate in uh, with that school one being on the river and then there had just had to be quite a few teachers in the school that were actually paddlers themselves and, and competed in the Avon Descent so as a result um, canoeing and kayaking were were quite an integral part of the um, outdoor education and physical education program so you know it was quite common for us from year eight right through to year 12 to be doing some sort of canoeing or kayaking, you know, once or twice a year during the various terms. So, um, so by the time I got to year 12, I developed, I guess, a reasonable amount of efficiency or proficiency. And, um, and then when I left school, when I was old enough to compete in the race, I, you know, I had, I still was in contact with my teachers and, you know, I said, look, I want to do the avid. And they said, yeah, okay, yep, no, no worries. We'll, will help you get get going and and I did my first Avon um, as an 18 year old and pretty much became hooked since then I was um, I was a soccer player before then that was my main sport and I played sort of at the, the top level um, over here in Western Australia um, but I just felt I don't know I just liked the individuality of, of, of kayaking and, and, and just I suppose from an energetic point of view, how, how hard you had to train compared to maybe how I used to train for soccer, and um, and and gradually over a one or two year period, I sort of phased out of soccer and and uh, kayaking became my um, my main sport. Mm -hmm. And and you know you mentioned the sort of physical uh, strenuousness of the training. Were were there other elements of of kayak that were really appealing to you, or or that kind of drew you in? Yeah, it was just um, well, like, it was just the being get, getting out in nature, getting out in the river, and you know, I liked um, I exposed myself to a number of di different disciplines, from racing sprint, which is the Olympic discipline, to um, doing marathon distance. You know, 
longer longer distance races to doing white water races or, or, or river races as they as they're called and uh, and just general um play boating if you like just going in rapids and and, and messing around and having fun uh, and just getting outdoors i just really enjoyed that but then the other thing for me was just that you know i didn't see a pathway in, in soccer and I, I don't know whether I, I don't i doubt whether i would have been um good enough because back in those days <coughs> excuse me um yeah back back in those days um australia soccer was wasn't really represented too highly or well, certainly australia didn't go to the olympic games in soccer and and i remember ever a youngster watching the Olympic games as a, the 1972 olympics and you know, I felt that was what I wanted to do one day was go to the Olympic Games, and I, I saw kayaking as a as a pathway to that because it was a sport that you could go to the Olympics, and uh, and particularly once I'd taken it up, Australia had um, we just had the 1980 Olympics, and um, Australia done quite well. We won a silver, our first ever medal. I oh, sorry, it was our second um, ever medal at the Olympic Games when we got a silver medal in the in the K1 500 with a guy by the name of John Stamigi, and and there was a guy from from Perth. Um, who was in that team as well and, and they did particularly well. So um, so I felt that was a pathway that I wanted to pursue and um, you know, just sort of started marching forward with uh, the Olympic Games as, a, I guess, my main goal. Yeah. And, and coaching, how did the transition into coaching come about? Yeah, for me, it was almost by, by accident. I mean, I... I I was one of those athletes that, you know, I was, I got to the point where I was, you know, quite competitive internationally, but I wouldn't say I, I was, I was the best athlete. Um, and what I wasn't, sorry, I wasn't the best natural athlete. Um, I was very physical. I was very strong. Um, whereas I felt maybe technically, um, and even from a, a race performance point of view, maybe in the early years, I didn't get the best out of myself and I found I had to work particularly hard and given that I started the sport quite late you know I found you know I had to you know look under every rock to try to you know get that little bit of bit of an edge um, so as a result um, I I was a real student of of the sport and a real student of you know getting as as fit and as strong as as I possibly could so um, and I think I've, I've found that um, now that I'm, you know, obviously getting up there in years, um, often the best coaches aren't necessarily that 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 top athlete of, of that particular era. It's it's the athlete that um, that really had to work hard to get to the top. Um, and um, and I was probably one of those athletes that worked worked particularly hard. And then for me, the transition it became almost by accident because um, I had I had a I guess a half-baked crack at, at, this, at the Olympics in 2000 it was only because I was one of those athletes that never really retired. I, I just loved training. Um, and after 96, even though that was effectively the end of my international career, as, as far as sprint paddling concerned, I was still trained. I was still training twice a day just out of, out of love of training. And, um, and you know, after, after, the, after the Olympics in 96, you know, I got married and then in 2000 we had, um, my first child was born and that was my main focus was um, you know security it was spending time with the family and, and getting some sort of security uh, for my for my family with with my regular day job um, 
and and I, I was just carrying on in that sort of capacity you know working um, I was working for Australia Post here in WA managing their customer contact center um, and training just because I I loved it and um, and then Wace approached me um, because the program had sort of hit, hit its sort of peak in that sort of late 90s period in early 2000s and then it started to sort of go downhill a bit in, in a sense of um, you know, numbers of athletes in the squad and I mean, pretty much after the 2000 Olympics there was a lot of investment in into high performance sport in Australia right across the spectrum and I think um, a number of sports or programs after Sydney suffered with you know not necessarily a lack of funding but a reduced funding um, or emphasis and and certainly the kayaking program was, was one program where it started to, to, to drop away. And I was um, the coach at the time at WACE was sort of, um, he was the kind of back to the Gold Coast, which is where the national program was based and, um, and where he was originally from. Um, so he went back there. So then WACE was without a, a kayak coach. And then they approached me, look, you know, we want to, um, we just want to see whether you'd be keen in, taking the, um, the kayak program under your wing. You know, there's, there's not a lot of athletes in the squad at the moment. There's no senior national team members or anything like that in the squad. And, you know, we can, you know, offer you, you know, a part-time role. I mean, and if you're not, if you're not interested in doing it, we're probably going to cut the program. And, and for me, you know, I was back in the initial stages when the kayak program was first set up at WACE in 1995. And we'd worked so hard for a number of years before that to try to get a program off the ground in WA. And we were the last, mainland state to get a kayak program off the ground um so i didn't want to see it go so i said yeah, yeah look i'll 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 take it on um i think i was at the time i was getting paid six hours a week for, for coaching yeah. um but you know I, I took it on and 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 loved it i mean i was working particularly hard because i had my my day job of um managing the um the customer contact center um and obviously a young family uh to to kids under the age of three or under the age of four and and then you know i'd sort of find my typical routine you know i'd come home at night do do the family thing put help put the kids to bed and then you know around eight, eight o'clock i'd be in here on the computer working through some nights till about midnight uh doing all my admin writing programs etc etc and then um getting up at you know four four fifteen the next day to um go down the river and coach the athletes and then um, get back in time to go to work. And um, so I did that in the, what's that, for the first nine years, pretty much. And, uh, and in that time, the program went from strength to strength. Um, and in reality, even though I was getting paid very much a, a part-time salary, you know, I was probably working close to full-time hours as it was. And, um, and the program just went from strength to strength. You know, we were fortunate to win the WA Institute of Sport Program of the Year, I think about uh, four, four times in about a six-year period in that sort of um, late, you know, from 2006 up to about 2012. Um, and, and we went from a situation where WA would never get more than maybe one person on a, on a senior team to all of a sudden getting two and three people on a on a senior team, one of our athletes won a, won a bronze medal. We had another athlete that sort of, um, unfortunately due to health reasons, probably didn't perform at their best at the Olympics. But um, in that year before was, you know, arguably the best best paddler in the world. Um, and um, 
and a number of good results. And even, you know, we had a couple of years there. We had even five, five athletes from WA and the national team, which, you know, being a small state population-wise um, was, was, was quite a big thing. Um, mm. so, um, so that was sort of how I transitioned it. But, I, you know, uh, I loved it. And, um, and I found a, a way to make it work. And then, you know, in, in 2012, I guess the planet's, lined up with um, Australia Post centralising a lot of their administration functions um, and and Waste being in a position to put me on full time, it sort of all lined up to, you know, accept the redundancy from my day job and, and commence coaching full time. Yeah. Well, what do you attribute your success to? I mean, it sounds like you've really developed the athletes and, you know, you mentioned that before you started working that they were going to ax the program and over a number of years, it sounds like uh, early on, you said you went from success to success. What, why was that? Yeah, I did. Well, I'm obviously passionate about the, the, the sport. and I'm passionate about getting the best out of people. And um, for me, one of the things that I say to my athletes is, you know, when they come into waste, look, I know high performance <laughs> sport is a, is a hard game. And I know, you know, when I'm talking to these athletes, most of these athletes, in front of me are never going to achieve their ultimate goal because for a lot of them, their ultimate goal is to go to the Olympics. And, you know, a lot of them don't. And, and those that do, you know, visualize being on the podium and there's only that very select few that wind up being on the podium. So, you know, I, I say to them, look, you know, I want you walking out of this program, just knowing that you couldn't have done any, anything more than what you've done. And, you know, I want you to come out of the program a better person than what you were coming in and, and what this program is going to provide for you, all these um, attributes that you learn as an elite athlete are going to hold you in good stead for the rest of your life. And, um, and you're going to be able to apply that to sort of business, to, um, to other sporting endeavours that you might do, to family, you know, whatever you're doing. And, that's, um, and I think by having that approach, um, I think obviously helps um, because I think, so many athletes I've seen walk away from the sport because they've just they've come in. There's just so much pressure that you know you, you need to achieve these results, and otherwise you know you're not going to get supported and, and and that sort of thing. And I don't think that's what it puts it just undue pressure on the athletes. Like they know what's at stake, um, and and you can walk out of this journey, you know, really in a good in a good headspace because you've learned so much stuff because the the, the emphasis has been on on that process or on the journey all the way through not not the final outcome yeah. um whereas i find maybe those coaches that are really outcome driven with their athletes there just seems to be you know just anecdotally um some athletes walk away dejected whereas um you know i've got a fairly good track record with a lot of my athletes here that have come through the program a lot of them are still involved with the sport they're, they're, they're coaching at a grassroots level um and you know we we're still i'm actively in, in, in contact with them and i think that was one aspect um the, the, the other aspect is is i'm just passionate about you know getting these athletes to be the best that they can be and that's why you know i have a real holistic approach to my training um and then also at what ways i've just been really fortunate um over the years to to, to work with some some fantastic people um in in the sports science area um and you know that that and we have a really good integrative approach across all the um the avenues there from you know bio, biomechanics to physiology to sports psych etc and um 
and, and I find that integrative approach with with the team at Waze has really helped. And I know I'm I'm biased, but um, certainly, um, you know, the, the team I've got now, but even sort of previous teams that I've had, you know, I, I feel they're selling the, the best, they're, they're world-class. And, um, and I think that really helps yeah. um, the athletes get the best out of themselves. And also the other thing is the athletes know how passionate these guys are as, as well as what I am. Um, and they buy into the whole process and they, and they trust what they've got to say. Um, and I think, so I think there, there's a number of factors there as to the, the reason why, why the program's been, been successful. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that, you know, even though you're in a high performance environment, it, it sounds like that's not your primary emphasis, the, the performance outcomes. Is that correct? Or? Yeah, uh, correct. So, I mean, look, the, the outcomes are there, but they're not emphasized because the athletes know and they don't need to be told every day um and you know i I, my goal is to create an environment where the athletes one want to come to training and two when they get to train that they they get the best out of themselves and and they enjoy it first and foremost if they don't love what they're doing they're not going to get the best out of themselves so um so creating that environment um and certainly for me you know i've I've learned along the way. I know a lot of coaches go into coaching and pretty much what they do is what they did as an athlete. And, um, and I don't think that's always the way to go. It can work for sure. Um, whereas I, I believe, look, you know, being, being, I guess having studied sports science, um, you know, I've got that sort of mindset, um, and that I'm always looking at the research and, you know, ways to do things better as, you know, new, new sciences emerge. And, and certainly the way I've structured my programs have evolved over the years. So very much, if I look at my training programs when I first started coaching, yes, they look very much like what, what served me really well back in those days. And, and then as, as I've evolved, um, that, that, that program has, um, has changed and, and what we're giving the athlete has changed. And sometimes, you know, we, um, even, you know, we, we definitely tailor the program to, to suit various athletes. Like if there's an athlete that's more sort of anaerobically based as opposed to an athlete that's more aerobically based, we'll make um, accommodations in the program in order to, you know, the way we see it is I want to, I want to give them something that's going to make them be the best that they can be. Yeah. I don't want to give them something that I feel is like a cookie cutter, one size fits all approach because I know that's just not the way to go. Right. Well, I'm curious about, you mentioned keeping training fun and, and it sounds like you see yourself as instrumental in, in the creation of a certain environment. I'm wondering what are some things as a coach that you do to create fun for your athletes? Because I imagine training is arduous and, and challenging and you're in a tough sport. Yeah, it, it, it is a physically demanding sport. And I think it, it comes down to a lot of it comes down to communication. I, I think if the athletes feel that they can trust me and talk to me um, and not be afraid to talk to me and, and, and talk about anything and, and vice versa, I think that is, 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 is one way of, of creating that fun environment because that, that you get that interaction rather than, you know, I know athletes that sometimes are intimidated or, or don't want to talk to their, their coach because they don't feel that he or she are going to listen or um or the coach isn't, isn't listening to their needs and, and things like that and I think that's 
Um, I think it's just creating that mutual respect between the athletes. And, and I'm also mindful of, um, I think, you know, when, when I say fun, you know, we, we certainly don't have games and all that sort of stuff. Although, yeah. you know, sometimes we might do something like that. But, right. um, but it, it's just re, really creating that environment where the athletes want to do it. And certainly with my programs, they do, they do vary. It's not like they rock up the training and it's the same thing year in, sure. year out. So they get that monotony. And then certainly that doesn't help. That takes away the fun aspect of going to training. From my experience, I've heard with some athletes, you know, because they rock up for training, they're doing the same thing week in, week out, potentially sometimes even 52 weeks in the year. Um, whereas certainly with my programming, you know, the way it's periodized, there's certainly um, uh, differences in that. We're looking to really uh, get the athletes that sort of um, the best adaptation process that we can get. Um, and, uh, and I think also, you know, we're, we're quite active over here with the various, you know, first and foremost, what's going to get the athlete on that, on that podium is, is that hard work, that commitment, um, getting out there, doing, doing the basics, doing the basics right. Um, uh, but then when they get to that certain level, um, when they're, you know, they are going for Olympic Games, then, you know, we start throwing more and more icing on the cake where we start throwing the various interventions that we use at WACE. And, um, you know, we use them up there a fair amount and um but the athletes again find that quite interesting you know they, they just see you know what interventions might work for them what don't and, and just being part of that process and that again is is part of being an athlete just learning all that and, and you know you're actually quite engaged and interested and, and it's fun to see okay you know I, I do you know a block of altitude um, exposure and you know how much can I improve my hemoglobin mass or you know right. stuff stuff like that. So, um, <laughs> so that's sort of what I mean, you know, by creating that sort of fun sort of aspect um, and and just just trying to be cognizant of the vibe within the group. Like, um, you know, you don't want to rock in, up to the boat shed every morning and just find people just moping around as if they don't want to be there. Um, yeah. And just you know, just just being keeping your ear to the ground and just, you know, I guess what I'm fortunate about is the athletes that I work with, most of them are highly motivated anyway. So, um, you know, it's potentially a lot easier than, or easier in that aspect than maybe some some team sports where, um, you know, the athletes I've got have got to me because physically they've, they've not been afraid to put in the hard work, whereas maybe sometimes in team sports, ball sports, you get some athletes that are very good because they're highly skilled, but maybe, you know, they don't want to do the hard yards in terms of conditioning. And, you know, we see, I suppose, examples of that quite often in, in team sports. And um, whereas, you know, with, with the sort of athletes in the sort of sports or, or in, in sports similar to mine, which requires that real hard physicality, it, it's, you know, for a lot of athletes, it's, it's not that hard to, to turn up because, they, you know, they generally genuinely like pushing themselves anyway. Yeah. So would it be accurate to say, Raymond, that by the time, you know, the athletes kind of come to you, that they're already well versed in pushing themselves? And as you say, that they're they're quite motivated. And, and so, um, you know, they don't they kind of embrace the the challenge or the physicality of the sport. Certainly, um, most of them are. Usually, you know, at the Institute of Sport, I, I get athletes um, probably that come directly to me um, 
when they make a junior national team, so that's under 18. Um, so then generally the age of athletes that I have in my squad are from the age of sort of 17 up to early 30s. Um, and by that stage, they're already working at a, at a relatively, high, relatively high level. I've had examples over the years where we've had athletes that have come in that are pre-raw and uh, they need to, I guess, understand what is required to achieve at, at this particular level. Um, and, and certainly now with our approach at WACE is we are getting down and doing more and more work with the pathway than what we might've traditionally done in the past. So now those younger kids in the, you know, the 15, 16, 14, 15, 16, um, are getting a little bit of exposure with working at us and getting a bit of sports science thrown at them. And, so they're getting a better understanding and I, I think that's really helping now um, when when athletes come to me, I think they're better prepared than what they might have been yeah. five or 10, 10 years ago. So, um, so but, but generally in most cases, they're, 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 they're highly motivated. You still get the odd one that has got there on sheer talent right. and, and hasn't quite put the hard yards in and sometimes that can be a, a double-edged sword because you've obviously clearly got a talented athlete and they've got their, um, at a junior level, they can get away with it, but they can't get away with it at a senior level. Yeah. And and sometimes mentally that can be a real challenging point for them um, because all of a sudden you've got these guys that they were beating as juniors that are putting in a lot more and then they start knocking them off and and all of a sudden they have to find out or they have to work harder. And sometimes I've had examples where, that working harder hasn't worked for them mentally. They didn't like it. So then, yeah. um, and that's when you, you, you lose athletes. That's fine. That's, that's just the nature of, of high performance sport. Right. And you mentioned that part of your role as a coach is to get the most out of the, help the athlete get the most out of themselves and to kind of leave no stone unturned in terms of their aspirations or pursuing their goals. I'm wondering to what extent is injury an impediment or barrier to getting to the podium or to helping the athlete achieve, you know, to get the most out of themselves? It, it's, it's a huge thing. Like we know there's been a number of studies done now that, you know, if athletes aren't sort of adherent to, you know, sort of 80, 85% of the training program, then they're probably not going to reach their potential. Um, yeah. or, or, you know, if they're, or if they're a podium level athlete, then they're probably not going to be on the podium. Um, and 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 definitely it, it's it's been an impediment. I've, I've had I've had athletes that potentially, you know, may have been you know, or were certainly good enough to be on the podium at the Olympic Games that um, had injury setbacks, and and that probably cost them or injury or illness setbacks that you know probably cost them uh, to potentially be on a podium at, at at that sort of you know world championship, Olympic Games level up to um, you know athletes that. Um, you know, could have made a, a senior national team, but just um, injuries, or they were just a bit more prone to injury or illness than maybe other athletes. And that sort of um, uh, took away how available they were to train. And as a, as a, as a consequence, you know, they weren't able to, to get the best out of themselves. And But, you know, I've also had examples where, especially now with the way we monitor athletes a lot, closely that we've we've had some real successful results of athletes that have maybe been sick or injured and we've been able to really 
modify their training in such a way because they've got quite a bit of historical data and we've got them to achieve actually quite quite a high level um, and almost surprise themselves and ourselves as to what they've achieved because of maybe how little work they've done but because we've been able to monitor it and apply it um, into a um, into such a way that you know we could still get into a, a various competition in, in good condition yeah so I was just going to ask like, what is it that enables those athletes who have an injury and they are still able to come back and and compete at a high level as you mentioned maybe they surprise you or themselves what facilitates that well i think first and foremost is that degree of natural natural talent um and um uh se secondly um it's i think it's just mental toughness and, and belief in your ability i think even though i think an athlete if they've had some time off with, um, with, with with injury or illness, um, they just need to back themselves and 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 be confident with the team around them that um, what they they're getting is going to get them into that competition, the best that they can be for these circumstances that they have been in. So, um, so I think you know that belief, having that belief in yourself, is 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 really really important. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, and I think the other thing um, is just having a, with, with the athletes team, is having a clear understanding in terms of how to titrate the, the training load up to an acceptable level um, so that athlete can sort of get the best um, out of themselves. You know, you don't want to have an athlete that, I don't know, let's say, you know, five or six weeks out from a, your, your, your main competition of the year or your, your main selection event of the year um, be out for three or four weeks and comes back you know with two weeks training you, you don't want to you don't want to just chuck them straight in and and do what everyone else is doing you know you want to do an, an appropriately loaded loaded program and, and in their case you know they probably wouldn't need too much of a taper at all they'd be you know be working up towards the event whereas everyone else is tapering down mm -hmm. um, so it's just having that under understanding um, of what to prescribe the athlete in terms of um, you know how much layoff they've had, what's what's the nature of the injury, and then the other thing is you know working out what can you do when the athlete is sick or injured uh, to to make to make them better. You know, are they what, what sort of training can they do, and and certainly um, uh, include that in in the training program. Right. So kind of being aware, of focusing on. You know elements of their training or performance that they're still able to manage or or to do uh, despite the injury. Um, also, you mentioned sort of the progression, I guess, and relative to the time available, just monitoring or or careful consideration about progressing the athlete back. Um, and I thought that other point about confidence or mental toughness was interesting. Um, is, is that just? Uh, I guess my question is, what is it that fosters that belief in one's ability to come back after an injury? Is it something that the athlete just has irrespective of injury? Or is it like something about how they respond, particularly in the case of injury? I think um, some athletes definitely have that naturally. Um, I certainly think with the help of the coach and, and sports psychs that that can be fostered during their time out. Um, and, and certainly, 
you know, depending on the, the, the nature of the injury or illness, there's, there's always stuff you can do. Like if, if you've got an illness where, okay, you, you can't train, but that doesn't stop you to, to work on your mental skills, you know, visualisation and, and, and working out, you know, when you come back and, and coming back tougher and having that, developing that, those belief mechanisms in yourself. Um, if you're a forced compromised athlete that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, in a sport like ours, which, which is a strength endurance sport and, and you might have an injury that prevents you from lifting heavy in the gym, um, you know, that doesn't stop you from going to the gym and doing something like, say, blood flow restriction training where you can, you know, drop the weight down to, you know, 30% of your, your 1RM and, and potentially still get some of those um, um, strength and hypertrophy attributes that you would get from lifting heavy, but you're not sort of risking getting, uh, re-injuring yourself. So there's always, always, always stuff that you can do. And I think those things too can help create those belief mechanisms in the athlete because they're actually doing something that is um, helping them to still get to that end goal. Right. So as a coach, is that kind of part of what you do with injured athletes is, to help them recognize what they can be doing to kind of work with them on modifying their program or I guess what my question would be sort of what's your role in, in kind of fostering those beliefs that the athlete can come back? Yeah, very much so. It's, it's certainly integral in terms of fostering those beliefs and certainly um, as I said at the, at the start of the interview, you know, at WACE we have a very integrative approach with our whole performance enhancement team and and certainly, you know, we'll meet regularly um, as a as a team um, and and discuss the athletes. Um, and even outside of that formal meeting, you know, um, I'll I'll communicate with the relative service providers um, about you know we need to be doing this and that with a particular athlete if they're they're, they're sick and injured. And certainly, that's what we'll do. You know, we'll sit around in this integrative approach and. Um, you know, with the, the doctor, the physio, the, the sports psych, the biomechanist, the physiologist, the, the strength and conditioning coach. And we have a chat around, you know, what's what's going to be the best prescription for this particular athlete based on their particular injury or, or illness. And um, and and we, we formulate a plan that way. Right. Is the athlete part of those discussions? Yeah. Um, yeah. If they're a we, we find once they're a higher performing athlete, then they've, they certainly we give them more buy into the whole process because, you know, we, we trust what they've got to say because they, they know what they know. Um, whereas a younger athlete doesn't know what they don't know. Um, and, um, and certainly we will, will, we will include them, but probably not to the same degree as what we will with like one of my you know, elite sort of senior, senior athletes. And, um, and so we, you know, we stage it depending on on, on where 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 the athlete is at. So certainly, if we're talking about an Olympic level athlete, yes, they'll be very much part of that program. And we do have, um, you know, regular debriefs with, you know, at least two or three times a year um, with the athletes. You know, definitely after a benchmark event, where the athlete will come in with the whole performance enhancement team and we'll sort of go through and you know review. Review, review their targets, you know, how they went at that particular event, um, you know, what worked, what didn't work and, you know, what can we do um, in this next next phase? And, yeah. and, and they're certainly, certainly part of, part of that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what, what types of support you mentioned at, at WACE on a few times, you indicated that you have a great team of individuals and you work in a collaborative fashion. I'm wondering what are some of the types of support that the injured athlete needs or benefits from? Yeah, I, I guess first and foremost, um, the actual, um, they've got access to the, the sports doctor or the, or the, or the sports physiotherapist. Um, to, to work specifically on that on that injury or, or that illness. So um, obviously if it's, if it's an injury, the, the, the physio will prescribe, a, uh, well, there'll be treatment and then there'll be the, the various prehab and rehab exercises associated with that particular injury. And, you know, if it's, a, if it's an illness, if it's a real chronic sort of illness, like a, a glandular fever or, or whatever, the, the, the doctor certainly gives us advice into how to graduate that athlete back into training in terms of you know you know for this first week back you know maybe just two or three paddles on the water as opposed to seven or eight and nothing above you know let's say you know 120 130 beats per minute heart rate um in and then from there we go um with with the sports psych there's there's work to do there to make sure that the the athlete has the the, the correct um mental approach to be coming back from the injury, from the injury, and making sure those mechanisms are in place, and then you know we've got access to the um, strength and conditioning um, person and, and the physiologist in terms of okay, is there anything else we need to do outside of the the injury? Okay, now the athlete can come back and start training, but we probably don't want to throw too much paddling at them if it's say a shoulder injury or an elbow injury. So then what we might do is we might put some additional cross training. Um, sessions in, in on, on on a bike or or, or something like that mm -hmm. uh potentially we might use we're, we're fortunate enough to have a, a climate chamber at waste where we do um you know we can do hypoxic or, or heat exposure type sessions and and we can certainly do do that to help i guess amp, amp the athlete uh, or get the athlete back up to speed or fitness quicker um than maybe just a, a traditional sort of methodology so um, so it, it is a holistic approach and it's uh, certainly a um, uh, specific to that particular athlete based on what injury or illness they might have or have had. Um, so along those lines, uh, my next question may be specific to the injury type or severity that an athlete has, but I'm wondering what are some of the challenges that an injured athlete experiences or faces in their rehab? One of the challenges um, that they have is, um, depending on the severity of the injury, is you know have they got enough time to get ready for their for their benchmark event. Um, so that's certainly one of the challenges, and that's sort of a call that we need to make at some point in time. That you know we feel, um, and fortunately in our sport, it's it's not a it's not a contact sport. It's not a high impact sport. So. Um, the rate of injury is not not that high, but um, but we, we you know we've had have had some interesting injuries over over the time, and um, and sometimes you you just you, you do run out of time, and you just got to be real um, about it. But I think um, certainly that's one of the challenges is having the athlete really understanding what what they need to do, and 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 that's where 
the, the, the stuff that they need to do outside of the main training environment, I think that's important as well because often, you know, we're, there's only so many hours in the day that we can work with the athlete. Um, so then there might be stuff that they need to do at home. And we've found in instances like that where it might have been a, a relatively serious injury, uh, the athlete that has come back quicker has been that athlete that's been diligent with literally everything, you know, doing, doing okay, if the, the, the physio has suggested, look, I need you to do these shoulder exercises three times a day, then that's exactly what they've done. You know, right. Whereas some athletes might not do that. Um, and then, um, you know, we've had instances where we've had both injuries and illnesses where we've not been able to find the root cause of, of the issue. And, and that can be quite frustrating for the athlete and frustrating for us because we don't know what's causing the particular issue. And then, you know, we don't know how much to prescribe that athlete because you know we don't know what's what's the root cause and we've certainly had examples of of that as well yeah so that sort of understanding about the cause of, of the injury sounds like it's important for the the prescriptions that then follow in terms of here's here's your time for potential time frame here's the progressions and, and the exercises that you need to do um, you can't establish that if you're uncertain about the cause of the injury. Exactly. And I think that you hit the nail on the head. We, we certainly see that with, with athletes. If we know what the injury is or know what the illness is, and we've got a, a plan that we've got, you know, I suppose you can never be hundred percent confident, but you know, really highly confident that this plan back to full fitness is going to work. Then obviously we're confident. The athlete feels our confidence and they're, they're confident as well. And that helps. Um, it's just when you get that uncertainty about what the particular root cause is of a particular um, illness or injury sometimes, that can be frustrating for both coaching staff and, and the athlete because you, you don't really know what you're dealing with and, um, and you don't know whether that athlete um, is, is, is going to work. I mean, we had a case in point this year with one of our athletes that had been just getting chronic illness um, for, you know, 15 months or so and we weren't able to establish why this person was was getting um sick you know one or two weeks out of every month um and you know we it was almost a case of going you know you, you get one step for, you know maybe two steps forward and one step back all the time and um and that was where in the end we just sort of bit the bullet and said okay well look we we can't find find out what's going wrong here so we've just gone right back to a real basic program taking the load right out and just focused on quality and then in the end you know the, the result this person got um at nationals was 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 i guess above anyone's expectations mm. um and, and to, to the point where they were very close to making the olympic team when when that wasn't even on the tape right it, it almost sounds a bit like there was some acceptance of the uncertainty and i wonder if that in some way alleviated some pressure in that case i, I think i think it did because i think there was Definitely a lot of uncertainty in, in this case, in this particular athlete's part early on in the season. And I think once we had a couple of regattas before the main selection regatta where, where this person performed exceptionally well on a, on a fairly limited program, um, all of a sudden this person started to believe in themselves that, hey, you know, maybe what we're doing, even though it's not as much as, you know, the other athletes in the squad it, it, it's clearly working for, for this person and and i think once there was that acceptance i think that really helped as well yeah 
Um, aside from the uncertainty, I guess, about the, the nature of the injury, and, and I imagine in many instances there is greater certainty about the cause, certainly, of an acute injury, but I wonder, are there other uh, uncertainties that an injured athlete experiences aside from just what what's actually happened or what's caused my injury? It's probably, you know, sometimes it can be the things that go on outside of the training track. So for example, you know, if this particular injury has impacted their ability to work. Um, again, we're, because we're sort of dealing with athletes that for, for most of them, they need to, um, you know, if they're not students, uh, if they're sort of mature age athletes, and certainly a lot of mine, you know, are sort of are going through uni and have finished uni and are now out there. In most cases, they do have to find a job. So if they're not, if the injury, results and they're not being able to work, uh, particularly if they're like casual employees, then that can create a, there's an added stress all there if they're not getting um, getting enough income coming in to support their, their, their sporting aspect. I think um, there's, there's always that psychological uh, uh, stigma attached to sort of athletes that are injured, um, you know, to do like in our, our, our sports unique in a sense that it's both an individual sport and a team sport mm-hmm. where you, 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 you rock up to competitions and you're, you're racing your single kayak, but you also race in double kayaks and, and four person kayaks. And um, so then, you know, there might be instances where the athlete, well, athletes might not necessarily want to race this particular person because they've had maybe too many injuries or they've been out for too long. And, um, you know, and by paddling with that particular person, is that going to jeopardize? Um, their selection into the team you know things things like that so there's certainly aspects like that which you know definitely lend lend to the un- uncertainty um i think also um so does that play on the athlete the injured athlete's mind where they're thinking well i wonder if my teammates are gonna want to row with me because they know, or sorry row. i wonder if they're gonna want to paddle with me or, or compete with me because they know I've been injured. Yeah, look, I, um, I, yes, I, I know it can. I mean, you know, using, well, I know that's how I felt back when I was still an athlete. I, I um, contracted um, chronic fatigue syndrome back in 1995 and pretty much was out the, the whole year and sort of only came back to training towards the end of 1995. And, mm. um, and by that stage, yeah, I, I'd sort of just that year, uh, year before I'd moved back to the national program on the, on the Gold Coast with a view to making the 96 team. And, um, and certainly uh, no one really wanted to paddle with me in, in, in that, um, from that squad up there. And um, so then, you know, I was sort of left there. What do I do going into the 96 trials? And, um, and there just happened to be some some other guys in, a, in another state that were quite competitive and that were also a little bit, um, uh, what's the term I can use? Um, weren't in the uh, the clique, I suppose, or weren't you know necessarily the the, the, the favoured guys to maybe make the ninety six team, and yeah. and certainly there, there was an opportunity there there for me, and, um, and, <laughs> and as it turned out, it worked really well for me in the end. But um, certainly, and, and I, I get it, I get it. You know, um, there can be occasions, you know, when there can be a real other people can have real doubts on 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 your ability to or particular athletes ability to come back to the best if particularly if they've had a 
a serious acute sort of injury or, or a long-term chronic injury. Um, so particularly when selection into national teams is dependent on how you might go in a particular crew boat, you know, you obviously want to be paddling with someone that, um, you know, is 100% fit and, and able to get the best out of themselves. Yeah. I'm sorry, I missed what you said it was that kept you out for a year. Uh, yeah, it was chronic fatigue syndrome. Okay. And, and uh, from what I understand, that, that can be very difficult to diagnose what it is. Like, um, th there's a lot of sort of uncertainty surrounding um, chronic uh, fatigue and, um, or, yeah, maybe I used the wrong term. Um, um, sorry, what was it again? The yeah, chronic, chronic fatigue syndrome. Yes, yeah. th there, there is definitely a lot of uncertainty. And certainly back, we're talking, what, 25 years ago, yeah. um, a lot more uncertainty back back then. Um, and um, even back then, very little information, obviously, that was before uh, the internet age and, you know, any sort of research was always done in libraries and, and things like that. So there wasn't a lot of information out there about it but what information there was um there, there certainly wasn't a lot of confidence that an athlete that had chronic fatigue would ever come back to be 100 percent again um and um so that was probably at the back of my mind and i'm sure it was the back of the mind of people that i was and coaches that i was either paddling with or or training under and um and and I, and I, I, I get it. You know, why would you want to paddle with someone um, that um, that is um, potentially compromised? Right. And so, how long? I mean, how long did you experience symptoms, and and to what extent did that impact or modify your ability to get in the the kayak? Yeah, like I had it pretty bad. I. I had pretty bad symptoms from sort of not being able to sleep, being just really fatigued, sore joints, sore muscles. Um, I was basically bedridden. Um, so I couldn't do anything other than, you know, getting up, having a shower, brushing my teeth, watching a bit of TV. Um, and um, um, so, yeah, I was pretty um, gastrointestinal issues, um, headaches, brain fog, you know, pretty much the whole gambit gambit of um of of symptoms and um and i think um uh and i was like that probably for about six months and then it was just gradually um getting better over time and and for me um back back then it was left up to me to do my own research and all that you know we certainly didn't have i guess that integrative approach and that was just just before we didn't have an institute kayak program um, or it came at the end of that year. Um, so it was really left off my back to sort of, you know, have a look at what might work and what couldn't, couldn't work. So, you know, I went to that many different medical practitioners, naturopaths, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it finally came out with, um, you know, a series of formulas that actually worked for me and come by around sort of October that year, I was able to commence training again. Yeah. Did I, I guess before you were able to find some things that worked for you, you know, when you were, I don't know, three or four months into this six month period before your symptoms started to 
subside, did you wonder if that would ever be the case? Oh, very much so. I mean, at that stage, then the Olympics were were off the table for me. Um, I I was more thinking about because the publicity, as I said earlier on, was you know could people get back to being one hundred percent again? And and you know, I was getting calls from people, and you know, there was all these people that had chronic fatigue and these chronic fatigue support groups and they've had it for years and they're not getting any better. And, and I'm thinking, gee, you know, I'm just in my early thirties and I've got the rest of my life to look forward to. And I didn't want to be sort of, you know, spending the rest of my life, um, you know, not being able to function maximally, if you like. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that was first and foremost was for me to just get back and to be in a, in a position where I could lead a, a normal life, right. work a, work a day job, raise a family um, and just do some level of physical activity. That was, that was my first focus. Um, and the Olympics was really off the table till, you know, later that year when, oh, oh okay, I'm, I'm starting to feel pretty good. You know, I might as well give it a go. Mm-hmm. Were, were there things you were able to do to, <clears throat> that helped you cope with that time period where you just wanted, or your hope was just to resume some sense of, normalcy or you know like you say the olympics were maybe off the table but you were just hoping to resume you know just some quality of life were there things that help you manage or cope with that uh time? yeah well yeah well I'd, I'd, as i mentioned um earlier I'd, I'd relocated back to the gold coast and trained with the national program before getting sick and that's when where i got sick um and so i just came back home and you know my parents um obviously supported me so that was one stressor so i didn't have that financial stress of you know paying rent or anything like that so just that that alone was 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 a massive massive help um secondly i i'm really a a big a strong believer in the power of the mind and you know daily i would go through various sorts of mental mental sort of strategies designed around you know sort of visualizing myself getting better and um, and and that one day I will get better, and I had that positive belief that you know even whilst there was uncertainty on one side, um, on the other side there was you know that belief um, of, of me getting better. And and as as an athlete, I was that athlete. Particularly back in those days, we didn't have you know programs or, or coaches or anything like that. So I I had to be, be my own coach in the early days and and do a lot of my own research and right. and and leave no stone unturned and so that approach that i had to my sport i had the same sort of approach to this so um so i was looking at you know potentially all these things that could potentially work for for chronic fatigue and and i had this checklist and i'd try try something and then if it didn't work i'd cross off the list and say great i'm one step closer to finding what is going to make me better so rather than taking it the other way around oh that thing didn't work it's you know i'm not going to find anything i was I took the other, the opposite side. Of, you know, I'm, I'm one step closer to to finding what's going to make um, make me better. So, um, so I think that 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 helped. Um, and then, um, obviously, in the end, we we sort of worked out potentially what what the root causes were, and um, and we were able to, able to put sort of interventions in place to um, get me back to, to 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 full health. But even when you know, I got back to what you would consider full health. There was a lot of uncertainty there. Like if I had a little sniffle, um, 
you know, I'd, you know, I'd be really concerned. It's just chronic fatigue coming back. Yeah. Uh, and that was probably like that for a, a good two or three years after that. Yeah. Uh, until, until, until finally, um, I was pretty confident that, um, okay, it's, it's gone. It's a, it's a thing of the past. Right. It, it seems, I guess, understandable or legitimate that you would wonder, you know, or be worried about symptoms and, and the meaning of those symptoms and, and, you know, whether it was indication that you might be re-experiencing re chronic fatigue. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned uh, that point about sort of the same, adopting the same approach that you did to your training and your athletic performance as you did to your recovery. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that in terms of kind of the possible benefits of that for the injured athlete. Yeah, look, I think that's that's the skills that we learn as an athlete. It's it's, it's being able to persevere and 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 look at all possibilities that can make you be the best that you can be. And and that sort of transfer transfers over to if you're an athlete, okay, what can I do that's going to allow me to recover and get back to full health or full fitness as quick as I possibly can? And and again, that's the same thing that a plot runs over into a business sense or into a work sense. You know, what can we do in in a business setting? to to get this business you know um working op optimally so um so i think that's that's where where it sort of flows over certainly from a an athlete sense it's still maintain that same level of professionalism as you were when you're training fully yeah and still having that same sort of approach to when you're sick or injured yeah um maybe you can talk a little bit about the role of motivation in terms of athlete recovery? Yeah, I think motivation is very important because it, it does require that certain level of motivation to, um, to, to again, get out there and get, get the, the, the best out of yourself. And, and certainly with, sometimes with some of these things that you need to do as, a, as an injured athlete can be quite monotonous and, and quite boring. Um, if you're restricted to, you know, if you've got some issue in in the thoracic region or whatever, and the only sort of training that you can do is sitting on a watt bike with your with your arms rested on a um, on a Smith machine bar to keep your yourself in that correct posture and just sitting there and pedaling for hours on end, it's it's pretty boring. But you you need to do it. Um, you know, doing those prehab rehab sort of exercises if you have to do them two and three times a day it can get get boring but again if you do it you know you're going to get better quicker yeah. and, and and get back to full fitness and that's that's that sort of again it just comes back to that desire you know how much do you want it how much do you want to be the best that you can possibly be and if you you've got that if that desire is burning inside of you um you're, you're going to do whatever's required yeah but, but it also sort of sounds like, again, kind of going back to your earlier point about, you know, your, your coaching, it sounded almost like a part of your coaching philosophy about creating a certain environment. Would you say that you, again, you kind of play a role in that motivation for the injured athlete? Look, it, it is. And, you know, I'm certainly part of my role is, is, is helping the athlete create that belief mechanism inside themselves that, yes, they will get better. Um, and that they will be able to still compete and um, you know achieve their best and and you know we, we, there's various ways that, that you do that and um, 
and and I think that's 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 important. Um, but then at the same time, that's having that trust in the people in in in, in our you know performance enhancement team or, or or the team that we've got around the athlete to um, give the athlete the, the the best advice possible based on the, the knowledge or the information that we have. Yeah. From to that point about trust, from the athlete perspective, how do the, what builds their trust in their treatment providers, or how do they know that they're getting kind of the best advice or suggestions? Um, I suppose there's a couple of different levels there. One, I suppose, is reputation um, and 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 previous feedback from other athletes. You know, they might say, "Oh, look, oh, you know, he or she is a, is a great doctor or a fantastic physio," and and they've seen, you know, within the squad environment, other athletes come back from injury or illness quite, quite quickly. So I think that 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 helps. Um, certainly, I, I'm I'm a big believer in um, the athletes attaining knowledge and and explaining to them or providing them with information as to the reason why we're doing a particular sort of intervention yeah. or a particular sort of recovery strategy. So that way, they're they're brought into the process and and they know why we're doing a particular thing rather than just blindly blindly giving it to them um particularly and i'll i'll take that to to certain levels based on the sort of athlete that i've got if it's a real inquisitive athlete that wants to know everything then yes i'll give that athlete information because i know that's going to help with their um level of belief and and um and confidence in that what we're doing is is the best thing where it's a younger athlete, I'm obviously not going to blind them with science because it's, um, you know, they're not, not at that level, you know, they just need to have that trust that what, they, what they're doing is, is, going to, is the best thing for them. Yeah. So again, maybe for the more senior athletes there, they have the benefit of experience or, um, you know, maybe they can digest information, scientific information. And so, Kind of going back to your earlier point, maybe you're giving them more information, I guess, about how they, um, you know, what's happened, how they might kind of proceed, um, what the course of recovery is, those kinds of things. Yeah, I think so. I, I, and yeah, you've hit the nail on the head because, you know, particularly in my case, I'm working with, with athletes that are just coming into that real sort of high performance level and there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff they don't know. Um, but then at the same time, I'm working with athletes that might have been to one Olympics or even two Olympics uh, before and have been competing on the international stage for a number of years. And they've really got a, uh, they know what what works for them. And, you know, my the way I sort of um, um, work with them is is different to what I might work, you know, with with that senior athlete. It's the, the approach is more collaborative approach. So I'm really here to facilitate them being the best and in many ways they're almost driving what what they're doing in the program because they know they've been around long enough now to, to know what works for them and you know certainly they use use me for guidance whereas a younger athlete it's like okay here look here's the program this is why we're doing it this way and this is why i believe you know it's going to work best best for you yeah uh, and then and then as 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 i sort of go through year on year certainly they get additional information and they get an understanding of why we might do um, structure training in this way and you know why we might be doing a particular intervention and um, or you know if we've got a particular injury you know this is what we're, what we're doing yeah and you mentioned 
when the athlete understands why they're doing certain things, it helps with buy-in. Is that very much so? Yeah, that's very much. Again, that's sort of my, my philosophy. I, I find that um, if the if the athletes buy into to your belief systems and what you feel is the best for them, they're going to go along for the ride, and um, and and it's going to be a lot more effective. Um, and you know, if the athletes understand why we're doing a certain thing um it just helps the site the process where you know, again i've heard athletes maybe in other squads in other sports over the years just not understanding why they're doing something and um, or not having it explained to them and it creates that frustration um, and then that's when and when the athlete starts losing trust in the coach then that becomes that real sort of problem in terms of um you know is that coach the best person for that athlete or, or, or vice versa and um, whereas I've sort of found if you can provide that education and that rationale as to why we're doing a particular thing, then that helps the athletes understand. And, and sometimes, you know, they might not like it, but then at least they understand or they've had the opportunity to, you know, engage. Right. Um, just a few other questions, and I really appreciate your insights. Uh, I'm wondering how is it determined or how do you know when an athlete is ready to return to competition? Um, I guess first and foremost, we, we take advice from the medical professionals, so from the physiotherapist and the, and the doctor. Um, secondly, by, that's, by that stage, they would have come back to me on the water or, or back into the gym at, in, in some way, shape or form, and I would have seen how they're progressing um, along that sort of pathway. Um, you know, we would have got some sort of numbers off them, whether, you know, numbers on the water power numbers, um, times, uh, what sort of weights they're lifting, uh, how they're feeling, just that's it's subjective stuff as well. And um, how they're going relative to other members of the, of the squad. So, you know, we take all that sort of, um, information to account and say okay look we're you're ready um and it might be you know initially it might be if it's just a a local regatta okay they just rock up and do one race um and just see how they pull up and and then you know yes that, that's good so okay next time they they might do a little bit more and then finally you know they just do a full a full race program right and so you mentioned um their objective performance indicators uh, more subjective elements in terms of how how they're feeling, um, how they're they're doing in relation to other uh, training uh, partners. Um, I guess in terms of that subjective element or their feeling, I guess are there indicators that the athlete is uh, feeling psychologically prepared to return? There, there would be. There would certainly be reticence um, to to coming back. You know, are they ready? Um, are they going to get beaten by people that ordinarily they would beat? Um, all those sort of factors which would um, take away from that potential for that athlete to, to race at, where, at the level that they're currently at. So, mm -hmm. um, so there's certainly those, those sort of psychological aspects that the athlete would have. Um, but then if I can demonstrate to them with with numbers that look, you, you are on track. Um, that's certainly gonna give them 
confidence. Yeah. Um, and particularly, and they'll get confidence themselves if they see all of a sudden that they're back up with with somebody that where they normally would be in the pecking order of the squad, then that's just going to give them confidence as right. well. Right. Particularly in a, in, a, in a squad environment, you know, if you're an individual athlete that just trains alone all the time, then there's, there's aspects there that you, you, you've got no one to sort of measure yourself off subjectively, then, you know, I can sort of see where that could be an issue. Yeah. Um, so would you say then that kind of the psychological readiness is almost comes from or is a product of those physical indicators where if they're getting the performance metrics or they can see how they're doing relative to others uh, in terms of performance that that then kind of fosters the, the mental readiness? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, are, are there any benefits to the injury experience or is it entirely negative? Uh, there's always a benefit. Every, every, every situation that you experience in life, whether it's in sport or outside of sport, it's, it's always a learning experience. And there's, um, my view is there's always at least one positive that you can take out of any negative situation. So, um, so and that, that's certainly what I sell to the athletes, that there's always a positive that comes out of it. And in at least case, at least one positive. Uh huh. And and in your experience, either through your own personal experience with chronic fatigue, or what might be some specific benefits that that the athlete gets from injury or learning, I guess that could occur. Yeah. Look. Look. For me, I've got so many positives that um, you know I wouldn't say I was glad that I had chronic fatigue, but in, in many ways, for me, there was there was so many positives that came out of out of it for me. Um, I, I learned so much um, about health and wellness during that time that I think now um, it set me on that path, you know, in the ensuing 25 years where um, I, I feel for where I am on in, in very good physical shape and and um, and health for, for my age. And, and that's been a, a passion for me since, since that time. Um, it learned, it, it, it taught me to slow down and smell the roses, um, which I think again is 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 very important, particularly now more than anything with um, with our lives. Well, maybe not so much the last few months with COVID, but prior to that, um, uh, just leading fast-paced lives. You know, just running around, just being so so busy. Um, I think I. It, it allowed me to become a smarter athlete. I sort of um, learned what what worked for me, and then I suppose just away from the training, you know, for, for, for me it was sort of um, it was I, I was home for the first time in um, in winter for a number of years, and and that's when I sort of met a lady who then subsequently became my, my wife, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So that was a massive positive, which you know, if I had been healthy um, and been away competing in Europe that year, that probably wouldn't have happened and who knows what would have happened. So yeah, look, there's always, always positives, um, you know, and, and you can put whatever spin you like in that, but there's always positives that you can take out of any, any negative situation. Right. My last question, um, if you could give one piece of advice to an injured athlete, what would it be? Just um, have, have belief. In, in yourself and um, and take that advice and, and use it mm -hmm. to, to to get better.
Yeah. So the, that self-belief and, and sort of using the advice to, to improve, to, to get better, to get healthy. Yeah. 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 Um, thank you so much for your time, Raymond. It's, uh, yeah, been a pleasure to be able to speak to you and, and to hear about your experience, but also to get your insights and, and, um, yeah, I know that athletes who may listen to this will certainly benefit from, from hearing uh, your, your wisdom. And um, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Liz. It's been a pleasure.